good evening, everyone. Uh, for those of you who may be visiting tonight, my name is Father Brian. I'm the pastor here. Uh, and a warm welcome to Our Lady of Lourdes. Um, lest I forget, I want to thank uh, the people who made it possible for us to have uh, the relics of St. Bernadette here. Uh, there's an association in America uh, who's the hospitality for the Shrine of Our Lady of Lourdes, for the Sanctuary of Lourdes, and they're really behind this, and we're so blessed to have uh, the relics of St. Bernadette. So preaching is always a challenge, but this week we have the relics of our of, uh, Saint Lord's with us in the sanctuary. Roe versus Wade was overturned, and it's our 75th anniversary as a parish. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight, I hope for all of you, I know for me, this has been an extremely powerful day. I hope tonight will be a night that will touch your hearts profoundly. Uh, and that our, our Savior and Our Lady will really touch you and renew you tonight. Why do we venerate relics? I want to start there. Why are these so important? Um, I was looking at our website, building up to this event. And I just love the way that it's said, you know, what are we going to have when St. Bernadette visits our parish? And I just imagine you all going back to your places of work and life this week, and you say, well, you know, a 19th century saint from southern France, we had a bunch of her hair and her kneecaps. It was awesome. And people are going to look at you like, I knew Catholics were weird, but this is next level. Why does this matter? Why is this important? And how does this renew us? How does God want to speak to us through one of his saints? And the answer to this is in some ways very simple, but it's extremely powerful. Tonight's homily, we have sponsors here at Lourdes. Tonight's homily is sponsored by St. John Henry Cardinal Newman and by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So John Henry Newman has in his great, one of his the classic works in recent uh, Christianity in the last couple hundred years, is his work called An Essay on the Development of Christian Doctrine. In the very last section of that book, he talks about relics. Why do you and I venerate relics? Why do they speak to us? Why are they powerful? Today we had this virtual pilgrimage here at 2 o'clock, it was so powerful. If you didn't make it today, I would really encourage you to take the day off of work tomorrow or going late. They're going to do it again at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. You don't want to miss it. It's super powerful. St. John Henry Newman says this, and he talks in the early church, one of the first things that ever happened in Christianity, immediately following the period where the New Testament is written, is that Christians from the very get-go venerated relics. One of the first martyrs of Christianity is St. Ignatius of Antioch. St. Ignatius of Antioch was eaten by lions in the amphitheater in Rome, or the Colosseum in Rome, somewhere around the year 110. John Henry Newman recounts this from the, the accounts of his martyrdom. 
It says, we having taken up his bones, which were more costly than precious stones and refined more than gold, deposited them where it was fitting. And in that place, when we meet together as we can, the Lord will grant us to celebrate with joy and gladness the birthday of his martyrdom. Amazing things. The same thing happens in the year 155 with St. Polycarp, who was burned at the stake. The early church venerated relics. Why do we do this? Why do these speak to us so powerfully? The answer is very simple. And one more line, and we'll, we'll break this open. So a fourth-century writer says this. He says, Corpses were an abomination in Judaism. In the Old Testament, if you touch a dead body, you're unclean. We have the body of someone who has died. And it's something we consider that actually can make us holy. Corpses were an abomination. But when death is for Christ, the relics of saints are precious. It was anciently said to the priests and Nazarites, if anyone shall touch a corpse, he shall be unclean until evening, and he shall wash his garments. Now, on the contrary, if anyone shall touch a martyr's bones, by reason of the grace dwelling in the body, he receives a participation of his sanctity. Here's the real logic, brothers and sisters. Here's what happens in the bodies of the saints. St. Bernadette's body is incorrupt in France. And here's what it's all about, is that God made the world good. And what happened is, when sin entered the world, God's good world was corrupted. And the ultimate consequence of corruption in the world is death. Guess what Jesus does in his redemption? As he conquers death. And he works to make all things new. Saints and their bodies, brothers and sisters, the basic logic of relics is that when God wanted to redeem us, he didn't stay in heaven, snap his fingers and say, well, I'll let them escape this terrible physical world. The Son of God took a human nature to himself and divinized it. He rose from the dead on the third day. And those who grow in holiness, who give their lives to Christ, brothers and sisters, God's new world breaks into this world in them. The story of Christianity is not a story of you and I escaping this world for a better place. The story of Christianity is how God invaded a broken world to make it what it should be. And he did that in her life. And her relics tonight, 
a body that, through the working of the miracle of God's grace, defies the effects of death itself. What an amazing witness of hope. Tonight, I hope changes your life. I was affected more today praying in this church than I expected to be. And if God has his way in you, brothers and sisters, just as Jesus Christ is the King and Lord and victor over sin and death, he works that that work in his saints. He did that in you, Bernadette, my sister. And may you pray for all of us that he does it in each one of us. An amazing sign of hope. Friday, as if this isn't enough, Lord, Friday, the feast of the sacred heart, Roe versus Wade was wiped off the books in our country. And Jesus, I know and we all know this was a victory of your sacred heart. The modern world, and I want to try to tie Bernadette and all this together to our, our gospel tonight. The end of abortion, brothers and sisters, we all know isn't here yet. We've got to fight for that. By our holiness of life, by submitting ourselves in faith, hope, and love to God, you and I are the men and women who fight against corruption and death in this world. That's who we are. That's what God calls us to be. Our second reading time is so perfect for the overturning of Roe versus Wade. In Galatians chapter 5, we heard this. St. Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Americans love freedom. That's our word, isn't it? When people think of America, or at least when we think of ourselves, we think of ourselves as the land of the free. God, true freedom, when there's true freedom, brothers and sisters, freedom is always, always, always at the service of what is good. And when freedom is not at the service of, its, of what is good, it's corrupted. And it becomes a counterfeit. In the ancient world, this is commonly understood, much less so today, the counterfeit of freedom that looks like the real thing, but is a, a dark corruption of freedom, is what we call license. And license means... I can do whatever the heck I want to do. You were called to freedom, brethren. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love be servants of one another. I was thinking about this. I had a wedding yesterday in the grotto. When a couple gets married, we all know this, 
A lot of people in our culture today, when a couple stands before the altar of God himself, and they bind themselves. There's a line in the marriage rite that says, Christ abundantly blesses the love that binds you. And it does. The love a man and a woman have for each other when they enter the sacrament of marriage, it binds them. And for many today, that looks like they are surrendering their freedom. But in all truth, the irony of authentic freedom, brothers and sisters, is that when we bind ourselves in submission to love, we become free. I always challenge people at weddings, you know, the, the, the people who think they're free, and they say, you know what I can do? I can do whatever I want. I don't have a wife. I can sleep with whoever I want. I can do all the things that I want to do, do whatever the heck I want with my life. That person is a slave. They are a slave to their own ego and their own selfishness, and ultimately they will become a slave to sin. The only way to authentic freedom is that freedom always is tied and it is subordinate to what is good. The people in our world, maybe some of you are here tonight, I don't know, the people in our world who are pro-abortion tend to think this way. And our job right now but also with your children and your grandchildren is to teach them that real freedom is always submissive to what is good and beautiful and true. When I was a missionary, some of you were focused. When I was a missionary, we had a great example of this. We tend to think of freedom as freedom from. Right? I'm free from a wife. Right? I'm a priest. I can do whatever I want to do. I say that to people sometimes. They're like, Father Brian eats your vegetables. I'm like, I'm not married. I don't have to eat vegetables. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm celibate. In Focus, we would talk about how we have to bind ourselves to be free. I think of our musicians tonight. They're so talented. They had to bind themselves to learn how to be disciplined and how to learn to play music properly that brought them freedom. A culture that wants pleasure with no consequences, which is really what it's all about. A culture that, that wants to do whatever the heck we want to do, whenever we want to do it, even if it comes at the price of a child's life, is the least free culture on earth. Mother Teresa, she always says it better because she's a saint. Mother Teresa has that famous line, she says, it is a poverty to believe that a child must die so that you may live as you wish. It is a poverty to believe that a child must die so that you may live as you wish. Brothers and sisters, God wants to break into this world to make all things new. He did that with this poor girl in the middle of nowhere, France. 
She lived in destitute poverty. She was uneducated. And her very corpse is a rebellion against death itself. That's who we are. When God makes us poor and when we love him, when we're willing to let go of, of the riches of this world and of the lies of the culture, Jesus, we become witnesses of the only life that is true, the life that comes from you. Finally tonight, brothers and sisters, our, our gospel from Luke chapter 9 there's a distinction that's made. The beginning of the gospel, and I don't know where everyone's at tonight, the beginning of the gospel is that you are loved when you never thought you were worthy of it. That's the beginning of the gospel. The gospel is that that happened for you when you had the most self-hatred you've ever had. When you've been in that dark place you betrayed your family and you've betrayed God and you think that no one could possibly love you, the blood of Christ was shed for you at that moment. That's the good news of the gospel. But tonight, Jesus talked to us about the challenge of discipleship. So if, you don't, if you're not there yet tonight, this last part is not for you. If you still just need to know that you are lovable and that God does love you, this is, not, this is not the last section for you. But if you know that, tonight's gospel, Jesus calls us to discipleship. Discipleship just means we follow after him. When God does, whenever he calls you, I promise you this, when God calls you, he is going to ask you to give up things that you do not want to give up. And tonight, there are three people who are called to follow after Christ and they're asked to give up things they don't want. The pattern of the gospel life, of the Christian life, brothers and sisters, it always is this. In every Christian life, the same story happens. Every single one of us. Is it something that you wanted to hold on to? And usually it's not something bad, usually it's something good. Jesus says, leave it behind and come with me. Leave it behind and come follow me. And in my own life, there's, this happens so often, right? Lord, I just, I just want to be comfortable. And yes, Lord, I love you, but I just, I just want a life that's easy and comfortable. Brian, leave it behind and come follow after me. With the culture that we live in, many of us frequently think, Jesus, I am pro-life, but don't make me talk to anybody about it. 
I don't have all the answers, and, and Lord, I'm going to look bad, and it's going to cause confrontation, and people will, will hate me. Lord, can't I just kind of be away from that and not have to speak out for life? Brian, leave behind your vanity and your fear and come follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, one of my favorite lines. He's talking about tonight's gospel. People want to follow Jesus, but they they don't want to leave things behind. Bonhoeffer says, as we embark upon discipleship, right? Discipleship just means, Jesus, I don't just know I'm loved by you. I want to follow after you. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. When you have to let go of something, it feels like a death. Jesus, I don't want to let go. I just want to be married. Brian, leave it behind. Come follow me. Jesus, I just want to be really, really successful in my career path. Leave it behind. Come follow me. Bonhoeffer says, thus it begins. And I love this line. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. Or you might think my Christian life is, I'm going to be peaceful and I'll be really holy and really beautiful and really smart and everyone will love me, and then at the very end, I'll die. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. It meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When you begin communion with Christ, you meet the cross. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. You can do that. I promise you, you can. And here's how you can do it. It's very simple. It's because he does that. And if he calls you to die, you can do it. Because Jesus Christ is making all things new. The way we can die, brothers and sisters, is because we believe in the resurrection. And so, Lord, tonight, Jesus, we praise you and glorify you for the triumph of your sacred heart, that it has conquered at the start of the the end of abortion. Jesus, we ask for the grace that we too would be willing to die for the sake of life. We pray for all those who believe in abortion. We pray for the conversion of their hearts and minds. 
But Lord, especially tonight, we pray that you would make us like Bernadette. May you make us poor so that you would be our only treasure. Like her, Jesus, may we surrender our lives. Maybe we'd be willing to die because you raised the dead. Let us now stand.